0: and scribblers welcome back to the obsession the official podcast of fountain pens oceania we are this episode two girls 88 journals i have on the line with me (laughs) sharon za how are you sharon i am here with my 44
1: journals
0: (laughs) i also have 44 journals Wait, 44 is a bad number and we're still technically in the lunar year yet so um what's a better number Sixty-two, I have and, um, actually
1: I have eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I do have eight journals with me, actually.
0: I have more than eight on this stack in front of me. But I'm Dana Dye, producer-in-chief, and we are here to talk about journaling, and um, specifically journaling that's not drawing and art-related, but productivity-related. But first, what we're writing today. Sharon, what are you writing with today?
1: This is going to take you by surprise. It will okay. actually I'm writing with a Twisby. I've come to really, really like this pen, <laughs> unfortunately, or slash fortunately. So I'm writing with the Twisby Mini AL Diamond White and Rose Gold 2 version that has come out. It's a really long mouthful. but It's a cute little pen. It's actually a very comfortable size to write and hold. Like, I don't actually need to cap this particular pen when I write it, but it caps, um, sorry, it posts very well as well. But this pen I originally bought because I wanted to use, <laughs> and again, this might be surprising, I wanted to use some shimmering ink in particular. I wanted to use Emerald or Cheval. Uh, and I can't remember what it was. I must have been going through old photos and I saw this beautiful picture of Emerald or Cheval on... I think it was on Tomoe River paper, where you could see both the, the golden shimmer, the red sheen, and then because you wrote really fast with it at the end, you could see the really deep um, teal color of it. And I just thought to myself, gee, that's a nice ink. I wonder why I don't use that. Um, and then I thought about all the pens that I would actually run Emerald of Chivort through, and I came up with all of nothing aside from a Kakuno. And I wanted a slightly broader nib. Oh, I know
0: so So you have an italic or a stub
1: no i got a medium nib and i've been writing with it almost every single day so i've got a medium nib on this mini white and rose gold and it's really wet it's really smooth writes great no issues with having emerald of chevaux in here the ink itself is yeah it's pretty good actually i can see why it's a huge hit (laughs) Uh, lives (laughs)
0: up to its reputation
1: I don't know. Well, it lives up to its reputation in that it's a really fussy ink, but um, having it in this pen makes it um, a lot more usable because I'm not concerned about the high, high maintenance nature of this ink in something that might be harder to clean out. So I've been writing with this pen since, let me check my ink journal, But I think it was since the end of January, and it's still, no, sorry, uh, 1st of February, and it's still got a pretty full, um, pretty full barrel of ink, I don't know if you can see that, but um, it's pretty full, and I've been writing with it a fair bit, so yeah, I, I quite like it quite like this pen this was the standout of the what I am currently writing with um crew other than oh, okay it was a sacrilegious part I think this writes better than the Nakaya I used last episode
0: <laughs> Other than
1: that one, having a soft medium nib this overall is a bit more of a pleasant writing experience the other one um is a bit feedbacky that's not a word but has too much feedback to it so when you write for long periods of time it gets a little bit um you get too much texture when you write and so for longer periods of time it's not as comfortable a writing experience whereas this super smooth still available on the website and at your favorite retailer great pen like honestly really really good pen um and not one I expected to like as much as I did. I've always liked Twisby's, but this one I like like. Hmm.
0: I'm riding with uh, one of our old favourites. It's a Estee DuPont Olympio. This is the large size, which is really the small size of the Olympios. And it's in my favourite, favourite finish, um, the Vertigo 1, which is the that sort of red and black checkerboard pattern and it's inked with one of the new inks that arrived last week from bookbinders design i think it's caran idyllic blue uh, which is very unlike me because it's a purpley blue a blurple one of my least favorite colors to ink a pen with but in this case i think it's quite acceptable because it's not pretending to be it's not really so purple that it's a purple. Um, I still think it's acceptable as a blue with a hint of purple to it. So, you know, it kind of gets, it scrapes by on that. And um, it's it's typical of Caran d'Arche inks. There's no strong sheen, but it shades a little bit. It's really well flowing. It's just a very nice standard ink with the remarkable feature that it's incredibly expensive but <laughs> oh, that old chestnut <laughs> <laughs> that old chestnut um but for some reason i have this fondness for carandash inks i i like how reliable they are kind of like you do for graphon faber-castell um hmm. so yeah I'm, I'm really enjoying that it's a very unlike me color but in a very like me pen
1: yeah i mean i know you have a great fondness for carandash inks and i must admit i've actually not tried many of their new range in the Tilted Bottles. But the old series, I found, always worked really, really well. Um, But, yeah, I look forward to trying some of their new inks at some point.
0: You should definitely try some of them out. This episode, we are not so much talking about pens, but we're going to be talking about notebooks and specifically journaling. This is a topic that we've touched on in other episodes before when the boys were with us. Um, But on those occasions, the conversation has mostly been about the benefits of journaling versus not journaling because half of the room would journal and the other half would be attempting to journal. So on this occasion, Sharon and I decided it's the beginning of the year, you know, people are looking at their Hobonichis or their um, moleskins or whatever they're using and they're thinking, maybe I should get on this journaling bandwagon, specifically bullet journaling. And so we decided um, long term bullet journalers and journalers as a whole, uh, the both of us are. So we decided to devote a whole episode to it. But before we get into that topic, Sharon, you have an update uh, or a correction. or An update. So last,
1: um, last episode, we talked extensively about the Mont Blanc black and white event and all of the new releases from or that are coming this particular year. And um, we had some question marks around the expression or calligraphy nib for this year and the release of it. After we released that episode, uh, Montblanc actually got back in contact with me, um, uh, having uh, put forward my whole list of queries to head office, and they've come back and clarified a couple of things. So the calligraphy collection this time round, we thought based on all the promo photos and um, the training pens that were provided to the actual Montblanc staff during their training sessions, we thought it was going to be a food A nib. And Montblanc had been such a tease, and they teased about it in their um, Instagram stories. Um, So I got very excited for that. And they came back and they said that the Fude nib, so the long and short of it is that the Fude nib is not coming in the uh, expression pens for this year. So it's neither coming in the red gradient lacquer we talked about um, or the standard 146. So that, that's different from what we were told at the actual event. Um, I thought they may have actually cut it just for the 146 regular, but they might actually release it on the, the red lacquer, gradient lacquer. Um, so at this time, they're only launching the, they call it the curved nib, but the Fude nib into the high artisan collection. So those are the ones that'll set you back, hmm, five, six digits worth of dollars, dollar Um uh, So what they have said was that this time around, the calligraphy or expression uh, pens will come in exactly what we said last time, the 146 regular and the 146 in the red gradient. They've said that the nib is going to be a refined or updated version of the flexible nib they had last time, which, again, is different to the pen we saw in person. Mm -hmm. The pen we saw in person was a stub nib. Uh, It's meant to have uh, more thinner and more broader writing, quote, (laughs) Gathering that means greater variation. It's coming with a flexible nib and a normal medium nib. And apparently, the name of this new pen, the red lacquer version, is called the Degrade. So <laughs> take that with a grain of salt, guys, because I'm not sure if that's official or not. But um, in an email I've received from Montblanc, it says the new red lacquer fountain pen name is Degrade, and it is coming with the 146 flexible nib and normal medium nib. So, there you go. That's an update to what we had talked about last time. And then separately, what I had heard on the grapevine was that um, there was so much hype for the food nibs and they just couldn't produce enough. And so they're being uh, specially set aside for the high artisan collections. So I think it's all the China Great Wall editions that they're being set aside for uh, and not for us commoners. (laughs) who are buying into the regular expression collection.
0: Yeah. When I first heard the name degrade, my first thought was maybe it reads better in German.
1: <laughs> Degrad? Or
0: <laughs> De- well, whatever the word for degrade is in German. Mont Blanc, I think you need to work on um
1: Maybe more- it's radiant <laughs> rather than degrade, you know, if you just put the D towards the N. Yeah.
0: That would make more sense. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, Degrade, Degrade is a very inauspicious name. That, that's our take. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and um, disappointed about the nib situation, but I'm still keen to see what they coming out what they're coming out with, um, and whether there is a huge improvement on the um, flexible nib from last time round. Because the one four six flexible nib from last time round was cut slightly square, so it wasn't an extra fine flexible nib. It was a zero point six millimeter flexible nib, so it was slightly stubbish. Um, if you listen to our episode where we talked about this, I went on and on and on about the fact that it was slightly stubbish. Um, and I hated the fact that it was slightly stubbish. But um, I'm wondering if it's actually going to come in the extra fine, flexible this time round, and whether it's going to be better than the nib from last time. Because the nib from last time is great. Uh, I
0: The nib from the 149.
1: From the 149. I've... I've been living with that pen for over a year now, and I think it's, I think it's a really, really good pen. And uh, it's disappointing that those pens are no longer available. The 149-sized um, calligraphy nibs are no longer available, and they're not, they're not being produced out of uh, Germany either. But we shall see what the 146 comes out with.
0: I have a question. So did you pre-order one of the new degrade with the calligraphy nibs?
1: I did not. I figured that I'll get enough in for me to <laughs> yes. actually buy one. Um, it's not so special edition that uh, I need to put money down to secure it for me. secure. Mm. And plus, I, there's just not enough information. And there's so much conflicting information. and such a long time away that I don't think I – me and my commitment issues don't need to commit so early on.
0: Okay. We're on to the main topic of this episode, which is journaling for productivity. Both of us keep a bullet journal and have for multiple years, and I've been noticing on Twitter and across other platforms when they start asking about bullet journaling, it's usually prefaced with a question like, well, I don't draw or you know doodle, I'm not creative or artistic, but I want to try this bullet journaling thing. Um, can you give some advice or point me in the direction of some instructions about how to get started?" And um, this is something I see so often. So we decided, you know, let's do this as best as we can over the podcast format. Myself, I'm a big fan of the system, not necessarily as originally espoused by Ryder Carroll or what he originally invented, but I'm a fan of the way that you can adopt some very, very common sense principles about it, and then customize it to your own purposes and adapt it over the course of, you know, months or multiple years. I think it's a very flexible system and it's a very useful one and easy to pick up. So um, we thought we'd approach it from that perspective, the way to make it easy and to make it work for you. So Sharon, how long have you been bullet journalist?
1: So, I've been journaling for a very long time, and I never considered myself a bullet journaler until I actually read the writer, Carol, um, intro to bullet journaling and how he uses it. So, I've been journaling ever since I've been at full-time work, which is now 12-ish years, 12, 13 years. I've always had a system in place whereby I need to um, keep a collection of thoughts, tasks and notes together. And I've experimented over the years with a number of different um, ways of doing that. The handwritten um, method always works best for me. I um, I have a very particular memory where it's very good so long as I write it down. Mm-hmm. So if I write something down, I don't tend to forget it um, and it really freaks people out at work because if they ask about something that, that happened, say, one year and three months ago, I could almost tell them exactly what had happened on that particular date and what were the concerns we had and it would be backed up by my notes on, from that particular day. So I've had a number of different systems, but when I discovered the bullet journal system, I found that there were a lot of concepts that uh, writer Carroll had in his original bullet journal article, um, which were very useful, and it was uh, really good for organising how I was doing my existing journaling. What about you?
0: Same. Um, I've been journaling for a long time, but I don't think I really started list making and. Organising my tasks in, say, time frames, so um, proximity deadlines until I, until maybe twenty fourteen thereabouts. Um, I think using a bullet journal allows you to bring structure to what otherwise might be a disorganized um, collection of notes. Or at least to me, that's what the function of my bullet journal is. So I've been using my adapted version of Ryder Carroll's method since 2014. And I've gone through many, many bullet journals over that time. It's changed a little bit over the years. There are certain elements of my bullet journal that has been very consistent over the years. What do you find to be the concepts that are most helpful about the bullet journal, according to writer Carol?
1: Uh, so I'm a I, I'm a prolific list maker. I make lists all the time. Whenever I get um, – so it used to happen whenever I had too much on or I was feeling really overwhelmed, I would put everything that I had going on and all the things, all the stresses, um, all down in a list, uh, and it became a to-do list and things that were – messing up my concentration or messing up my productivity, I would just put that all down on a page. Then when um, I started officially bullet journaling, which I've been doing it for a lot less time than you have, uh, I would say that I probably started in twenty uh, end of 2018 is when I really started um, bullet journaling. Um, so the keys that Ryder Carroll uses to organise um, his lists, so his task lists, and in particular, um, the ability to push forward, migrate the tasks for something that is uh, not urgent right now, that was more, you know, game changer. <laughs> that was a game changer to actually have something crossed off your list, but only actually pushed forward to a different date because it didn't need to be actioned right now. That, that was very helpful. Um, And then from the rest of the actual bullet journaling concepts, that's probably the main one that I use, to be honest, Um, I don't use uh collections i don't do any time planning within um my bullet journal so i don't um, set up like a monthly calendar that i draw up every month or even weekly tracking i don't use that i use um i use a digital calendar for that because my days move so much Um, and then i don't tend to use the collections much either i did once upon a time um, But uh, I've resorted to instead of having collections in the same book as my bullet journal, um, if I want to keep collections of things I've read, things I've watched, things I I want to do at some particular point in time, I just keep it in a different notebook.
0: Um, Similar to you, I don't use tracking. I don't really use collections either. The main thing I use it for is like you sort of like a brain dump. I find my bullet journal very useful to refer back to. Because what another thing I use it for is basically as a kind of like an index to my life or to other notebooks in my life. So um, the index at the beginning of my bullet journals refer to entries in my bullet journal, which in turn will give me a date and a rough time to um, consult other notebooks or other resources, for example, a particular email, um, a particular set of meeting notes, because the rest of my my work life is nowhere near as cohesively um, or coherently and comprehensively um, indexed or tagged the way that my bullet journaling is. Because I've gone through so many other systems in other productivity tools over the years, it's really difficult in those systems to have a consistent set of tags through all of them. And what I find is that I've been using my bullet journal as that particular sort of a log or a meta index for everything else. And sometimes I I just have to have a rough idea of when something happens, I look in that bullet journal, I look through the index, and that directs me to a very narrow margin of time that I can look up something else. So it, it's, it's quite convoluted, but really my bullet journal is like the index to my the rest of my life. Um, and the index is definitely the most important part of my bullet journal.
1: So this is probably where we differ because I don't use an index. Yeah. Um, I don't use an index um, and I don't recommend that for everyone. Uh, if an index works for you, great, go, go for it. I don't need one. <laughs> um. Because I think, as I've mentioned, uh, I have a very good memory and I have a very good memory in being able to place certain things at a particular point in time within about a three month period. So I tend to think of the year in four, four chunks. And every chunk is a three-month period. And usually I can think of all of the major things which occurred within a three-month period. And then I'll just go to the notebook that I kept at the time during that particular three-month period. So I don't use an index at all. And I should say that when I use a bullet journal or when I journal for productivity specifically, um, I do it in the context for work and work alone.
0: Okay. My, my bullet journal is much more of an amalgamation of things. Um, it's mainly work, but there's also like financials, um, and certain aspects of, um, family responsibilities, which also go into my bullet journal, um, because my work and my home life are less clearly, the boundaries are less clearly defined. I suppose you can put it that way. I prepared on Twitter at the beginning of the year, I think back in January, a set of diagrams about how I personally structure my bullet journal and the way that I use a, um, a sort of a Midori traveler notebook, sort of a system where you can slide multiple notebooks into um, an organizer, how I use that format to contain my bullet journals. So um, I'll include a link to that particular thread it gives you an idea of one particular way that you can structure your bullet journals, and it's not reliant. It's not reliant on doodling or you know sticking washi tape or stickers. Not that there's anything wrong with that, um, but I just find that incredibly time consuming, and it's it's a pressure on people who don't actually find themselves um, artistically motivated in that way. You know, I, I don't bullet journal. Well, I do bullet journal to take stress off myself because I find the, idea, the act of writing down tasks to be de-stressing in itself. But I don't get um, satisfaction out of doodling around my bullet journal, although some people do. So, you know, this is one way that you can bullet journal if you're not artistically motivated, and this is how we do it. So um, you can have a look at that thread. Um, the main way that my bullet journal deviates, I think, from Ryder Carol's is that I rely very heavily on the idea of a rotating bullet journal. Something that really annoys me about Hobonichis, about very structured planners and diaries is that when you reach the end of the planner, you have to get a new planner. You have that really awkward phase when everything that was useful about the old planner, you no longer have with you because you're on a completely new physical book. And that's one of the drawbacks, of course, of using an analog book. It's harder to carry all of your bullet journals with you. And unlike Sharon, I don't have a great memory. Um, It really, really helps me to write something down to to be able to recall it later. But I I find that um, when I remember something, it's really only for a short period of time. My short short-term memory is good. My long-term memory is terrible. Um, Anything that's not immediately useful, I just chuck it back in um, my long-term storage where it becomes a disorganized mess and then I have to rely on my bullet journal. And that's really annoying if you have already moved on to a new bullet journal um, and you're looking for something that happened three months ago and you have to go searching through your bookshelves or your, your boxes for that old book. So the way I get around this long-term nitpick of journaling is that um, my bullet journal is always, it's a rotating set of notebooks in the sense that each individual notebook I use for my bullet journal is quite slim. So currently I use the Life capons which are um, 40 leaf, I believe, so 80 pages in total in each notebook. And when I reach the end of one, I immediately start a new notebook and what I do is I carry the immediately finished bullet journal notebook and the new notebook in the same organizer. So in the same covers. So at any point in time, I'm always carrying one X notebook and one current notebook. So I always have at least three months of memory. Basically (laughs) I, I have it in, in my hands at any one particular time. And, um, I don't know how anyone else does it, to be perfectly honest, Um, if you actually use your bullet journal as a daily tool because I just find it impossible to reach January, you know, um, and if you're using a Hobonichi, you're in January, you're in February, and if you have to look look for something that you did back in October or even in December, you know, only a few weeks ago, you don't have it on hand. So the system I use just gets around that particular um, flaw, I believe, of analogue journaling. So I think
1: this will come down to what you want to get out of your journaling and how you want to be using your journaling. Um, so maybe I'll set the context a little bit. What I want to get out of my journaling is to help me be able to recall key facts of a certain situation or a f- certain a case I was working on, certain client I may have been working on, or certain project. And I want to remember the context behind it. So when I take notes, um, when I take notes, I usually take notes of what was the overarching uh, issue or what was the overarching context behind this particular problem. And then I would jot down specific observations. So as I attend a meeting, things might be said. I don't ever take really notes of what's been said, aside from that context portion, and then the rest of it are either action points, things for consideration at some other point in time, or observations that I've got that I either didn't share or I think might be useful at a particular point in time. So as a wild example, um, I would have gone to a board meeting at one point and attended the board meeting and took notes um, during in between sections where I had to present. And I would have taken things around, I think XYZ board member is interested in this particular point or the other board member had no interest or was a little bit dismissive of this particular issue. And that just helps me formulate more comprehensive and also more targeted responses in how I approach this particular project or the next phase of this particular project. So, my notes are all pretty much structured that way. So, I, I will have whatever project it is, the context behind it, and then a series of observations, actions, and further, you know, food for thought. And I usually use about half a page to a page for each one of these particular projects. Um, and I keep a collection of notebooks similar to what you had. I used to use the Life Cup on as well. And I would find that one of them usually lasted me between two to three months. Um, during COVID, it lasted me four months because I just wrote less. Um But I would use that and I would just date it for the period that that particular notebook was active. I keep all of my notebooks um, and all of the old uh, notes that I have in uh, my drawer at work. So I leave it all there and I have a stash now of about four more notebooks, four notebooks there. Um, I think, yeah, uh, no more than that, sorry, eight. I'd have about seven or eight notebooks now. And I'll just pull one out as as and when is required. Separate to that, I keep a travellers um, travellers journal, which is the you know the original um, travellers company um, journal, the full size one. And that journal, I've only started implementing this this year i only use it for to-do lists so at the beginning of every single week i would put down everything that i have on and i would try and prioritize and allocate my time and plan out my week accordingly that book is only used for that it's a list of tasks and that's about it um nothing else that's all i use it for Uh, what I separated out this year because what I was finding in the past was, in between all my very useful notes, I had pages of just to-dos, which were not so useful at all. I thought it was a waste of space in a notebook that um, was otherwise very coherent and also very, very useful in helping me be a lot more strategic um, in how I was approaching certain tasks.
0: So, you mentioned that you don't actually use an index and hmm. that once you've written something down, your memory is actually very, very good. Hmm. So, how is your how are your work notebooks then structured? Is it just project and then time? So, it's sequential? Sequential. Um, okay. Do you have a different notebook for each project?
1: No. So, I did used to use different notebooks for... Uh, when I was in professional services you would have billable and non-billable work I used to keep different notebooks for billable and non-billable work um, well that just kind of blew up in my face <laughs> because i would i would be switching so much that that was a waste of time what's worked for me is to have sequential or mostly sequential um, uh, pages and issues as they come up um, it's complemented by the to-do list because even though i have a good memory it's not it's not infallible I do forget things. And so if I refer back to the to-do list of a particular week, it also helps me pinpoint that particular place and time where I was focused on XYZ mm-hmm. project.
0: So the the integration between the two notebooks are not intentional, but sometimes you do refer to the to-do list um, and that points you in the direction of certain things.
1: Yeah, of a particular just time frame all I need to get I just need to get within like a two-month time frame for me to find exactly what I need because I I keep very thin s- notebooks as well. So I, I was keep the um, cup on for the last four years. And then I've now run out of coupons. I've moved to uh, – You
0: gave I, me the last of your coupons.
1: I did because I didn't have enough for this. A clean break. Yeah, so I went with uh, Hobonichi this year. And before the Kapans, I was using Hobonichi's as well. I was using the Avec, but this time around I'm using the Dayfree. And I think the Dayfree is much better than the Avec for my purposes.
0: I asked on the Panatic Slack if there were any questions that um, anyone wanted to ask us about journaling. And Urban sent us a question. Urban from Fountain Pen Companion He asked, "How elaborate is your system?" I found that I have the best success with a super simple system. I just use the daily pages from Bujo and sometimes a collection or two. That plus a digital calendar works so much better for me than the full system. I think both of us we use a fairly simple system, and it's used in conjunction with a digital calendar. Neither digital nor analog is complete in itself. Um, Both are used in conjunction. I particularly find it useful to have an analog next to a digital because it's it's so much faster than having to switch between apps (laughs) on your phone or on your iPad, Um, you know, to have a list of to-dos open in a notebook while you're working on something else digitally. Um, Even though you can have multiple screens up, my mind is somehow just more used to the fact that I look at an analog and then I look at a digital screen. Um, It's easy to separate the two activities. I wouldn't call either of our systems particularly elaborate once you get around the, you know, the setting up of the pages. Um, Unlike Sharon, I I do have a a little bit more setup to do. Like I have a, I don't have a yearly page, um, but I do have um, monthly um, spreads and I have daily pages. And then I have like a future section where it's mainly in three month increments and those are my sort of medium term um, tasks that I need to do. Mostly those are like reminders to, um, you know, like submit my taxes and things like that. <laughs> um, the, I need
1: to remind you to do that.
0: I did it last week. It's done. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, for for more details, you can have a look at some resources that we'll be linking to. One quite useful guide to bullet journaling that I came across was Kate Elliott's guide on how to bullet journal for writers. Kate Elliott um, is an author and on her Patreon, she goes through in quite comprehensively on her bullet journaling system, focusing on how uh, published writers um, use that system to track their projects. It has, you know, a lot of, really useful tips and photos to illustrate what she does. Sharon, do you have any general tips for someone who's just wanting to get started on bullet journaling?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think my general tips are don't lock yourself into anything and don't be afraid to experiment and try. That's probably the most useful thing for me. I haven't always had the same uh, format or layout and I've tried multiple different notebooks Different styles. I've tried color um, coding my notes, so certain headlines in red so that I remember certain things better. Um,
0: I don't. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> too complicated. <sorry. laughs>
1: My notes are basically the same blue that I use for the entire year. It's very, very consistent. Every now and then when I don't have that blue pen handy, it'll be a different blue or a different dark shade of ink in in my journal. But don't be afraid to try what works for you and don't lock yourself into a particular style. You know, a lot of these things get refined the more you try it out. And we have talked in the past in one of our older episodes around the haptics of um, handwriting And how analog um, note-taking or analog um, writing, just handwriting itself, is very, very good for helping you retain knowledge better. And that, for me, is the biggest upside that you get out of any type of note-taking, journaling or planning. And so, uh, I would just say, give something a go, whether it's just coming into a meeting or going into something and just taking notes just taking whatever notes you think are useful what you take down might not be the most useful thing in the first instance but the more you do it the better it becomes um, when i used to train graduates in professional services i would absolutely lose my shit if they came into a meeting with me and they didn't have a notebook i would always tell them whoever whoever's working with me come in pen paper Like a notebook, and I want you to take notes because you can, you may think that you have, you know, God's gift of an eidetic memory. You don't. Um, Very few people do. I haven't met a single person who had one. And so if you're coming in here and you think you can remember every single instruction without writing it down, then, boy, you've got something coming towards you, and I'm not afraid to call you out on that. Because I do happen to remember what I get said, because I take it down. I write it down. <laughs> you want to you fight me on that one? <laughs> I think it's a very good habit to start developing mm-hmm. um, early on, but even once it has been developed, um, to be refined later on. Because certain things I no longer take notes of now. Like, uh, I don't take notes of certain things which I'll be able to find in a document later on, which is why now my notes are more on the side of this is what I actually think is going to be useful. And if I'm doing a presentation or I'm having a meeting where, you know, it's getting quite intense, here are the three dot points that I need to talk to. And that's the one guy in the corner who I need to be careful of because mm-hmm. he's having a really bad day. <laughs> you know, all of that will come from the insights that my plan actually gives me.
0: My addition to that would be, and it's, it goes along with what you're saying about not committing yourself early to one particular method or one particular format. And that is to pick a notebook that is not intimidating, you know, start with something quite slim because then you don't feel locked into it because the more, the more power you give it um, I think the easier it is perhaps to give it up because it sounds too intimidating um, and because it's too much of a task but instead, if you're using like a slim notebook, you know, something that initially might be quite throwaway, um, you just use that as a practice bullet journal, maybe to figure out what works and what doesn't work for you. Um, try different, what do you call those, um, keys systems. Um, yeah. Figure out which you like, which you find easier to read and um, locate in retrospect. Use a system that initially is not too um, intimidating for you just to get yourself started. And don't feel bad about it if you, you know, let it go for a few weeks because you can always pick it up later.
1: Yeah, and don't feel bad about just crossing out a whole page. So when I (laughs) first tried bullet journaling the writer Carol way, Mm -hmm. I went and got myself a couple of mole moleskines. I know, guys. I know. And I thought to myself, well, these mole moleskines are perfect because, They are dot grid, they work great, and, you know, got this really cute elastic and I can put stuff in the back and it's a perfect size notebook. I spent probably about a good two days in the Moleskine, like setting it up, doing the full tracking system, only to find that (laughs) it became so much of a chore to try and update it that I wasn't getting anything out of it. Mm -hmm. And then I tossed that notebook. I then went with... um, I then went with just a regular lined notebook on one of the really um, cheap ones from a back to school sale or something. And that wasn't quite right either. Um, And then I moved into the Life Kapan, which was the grid notebooks. And I love the grid notebooks and I probably would stick with grid um, the whole way through. Uh, I know a lot of people like the dot grid um, just because it's more freeing in some ways. Uh, no, the grid works great for me because um, I don't draw. <laughs> I really don't draw. The most I draw are boxes or like rectangles on a page when I'm drawing diagrams. Um, but I moved into the grid and something about the grid just clicked. Yeah. Uh, it's something about how you space out your um, notes, how you manage to draw attention to certain things that will be more useful, etc. You just got to find what works for you, and don't be afraid to, you know, chuck a few notebooks to one side when they don't work.
0: Yeah. So um, I hope that gives our listeners, those of you who've never bullet journal before, or those who feel quite intimidated looking at the. The proliferation of wildly creative, colourful, beautiful artistic bullet journals on Instagram and over YouTube. That's not the only way to bullet journal. You can bullet journal even if you have not a artistic bone in your body. Uh, you don't have to use highlighters or coloured pencils or watercolors. You don't have to bullet journal with good paper, even. You can just do it on a ratty notebook with a pencil. You can use any tool, basically. You just need a writing instrument and a notebook, and that's all you need to get started. So if you are inspired to start bullet journaling, um, feel free to let us know how you go um, and share your system with us on Instagram or on Facebook or on Twitter even. Um, we'd love to hear how you're doing. And um, if you want to learn more about how to bullet journal for productivity, um There's a lot of resources out there. It's a little bit harder to find because most of the guides to bullet journaling are quite um, artistic. But if you look at the ones that are just text based, um, diagram based, um, I think you'll find that there is more resources than you think. And definitely don't think of it as like a feminine masculine thing. You know, women can bullet journal for productivity as well as men. And men can draw in their bullet journals as well. It's not a gendered thing. It's just about what works for you and what you like doing. So that's bullet journal. Um, Any other last thoughts? That's it. That's it from a bullet journaling
1: perspective. But I think now we can talk about the other uses for notebooks that we have, Mm -hmm. which I was very excited about because the bullet journaling thing for me is almost exclusively relegated to work um, in my instance. But I do keep a couple of other really interesting notebooks or doodle books um, on the side. I'm not a drawer, Mm -hmm. as you know. Mm -hmm. So I might kick this off since I have one right in front of me. Yes. Yes. I try out a lot of notebooks, as you guys know. <laughs> uh, I try out a lot of notebooks, but I usually keep one notebook on my desk at home uh, for all um, for all occasions. And at the moment, it's like this little A6 notebook where I just use it to jot down anything, like anything at all. It has on here certain dot points around, doesn't even make sense, legal, lease info, it makes no sense whatsoever. But what I use this notebook for is every time I get so caught up in my head or I can't unwind, I do this thing where I will either watch or listen to something and then I'll just randomly write and I'll write bits and pieces from whatever I'm listening to, whatever I'm, um, whatever I'm watching and I'll just write as fast as I can or as as fast as I'm comfortable writing and so I'll never pick up the full sentence I'll just start stop as and when I finish a word and I'll pick up the next word that's being said so you get a lot of nonsense in this particular notebook but it brings me a lot of joy because it is an absolute de-stressor and it allows me to play with a lot of pens a lot of pens a lot of Inks. It's got a lot of color in there, you know. Uh, I don't know if you can see this, but there's a lot of color. I do random swatches in here. I like just write out things all over again, um, really randomly. Things that that don't make any sense. I've got this one thing saying, "We have a fully str- funded strike fund, and we're prepared to use it." But Harvard wants to rescind our offer. I don't know what that was from, but I was watching something at the time that was talking about a fully funded strike fund, and talking about Harvard at the same time. So this is kind of the dumping ground for everything that doesn't have a home. Um, And it's a notebook that I constantly have. And this is the one notebook that when I finish using it, I toss. I toss every single one of these notebooks. I don't keep it because if it's important enough to be transferred to something else, I'll do that. But as a concept, this is the stuff that doesn't need to take up space in my head and it's the stuff that will help me clear my mind and uh, clear a lot of the stress that might be built up and by the end of one of these notebooks, I'm really happy that I've used one entirely through. And I thank it, you know, I do the Marie Kondo thing. I thank it for all of its um, for all of its contributions to my life in the however long I've been using it. And then I toss it because I don't need a memory of all of the things that was taking up space in my head that don't, just doesn't need to be
0: there. Yeah, it's like a purge. Yeah, it's a purge book. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'll call it. <laughs> You have something like that um, I don't have something similar in the sense that I throw it out but I do have notebooks in which I just scribble whatever nonsense and then I never look at it again I have several notebooks like that and because they are they, those thoughts are distributed across various notebooks um, I actually use up a lot of really nice notebooks in that activity a lot of my Midori cottons are used like that. I think what you do is quite similar to my, what I could call my film and film arts, literature, whatever journal. And that's where I usually am journaling in response to something I'm watching or reading. The thoughts are not coherent, but they are inspired at least by a particular piece of work Nowadays, though, I find a lot of those thoughts are being just purged on Twitter. Maybe that's a it's a less healthy way to exercise those thoughts. Um, maybe I should get into like just having a purge journal instead, um, instead of just airing every random thought on Twitter.
1: Once it goes out on Twitter, you can never bring
0: it back. <laughs> that is true. But what I do have is just a regular journal, which is very rarely updated now, to be honest. Um, This is a Nanami 7Cs that I've been writing in since August 2017, and I still haven't finished it. But in it is – they are lists inside, there are some diagrams, there are, like, life events that um, I actually remember to write down. It's not um, something I use – very religiously so it, it's not comprehensive it's not like a full log of my life but um, every once in a while I do feel motivated to just sort of update it on what's been happening in the last couple of weeks or last couple of months and this is something that I occasionally I do find useful to look back on you know um, I'll think what was what year was it um, when I was thinking this particular thing or what was my favorite? Um, movies of the 2010s. There is a list in there <laughs> that's like that. Um, these journals, they're not indexed, so it's a little bit random to flip through. It's very disorganized. Yeah, some of it is Some of it is like yours. It's sort of like an emotional regurgitation, and some of it is actually useful. Um, this is more like a sort of a catch-all.
1: So I've been writing diaries or journals since I was very, very young, probably since I was about five years old. Originally, it was to help me improve my English. And then later on, it was help it was to help me improve my grammar and my overall writing style. Um, fun fact, my earliest journals um, and the reason why I started journaling very early on was because um, it was homework that my dad gave me and he would read and mark my journal. So, my oldest journal <laughs> when I was younger... Uh, I've got to see if I can dig out one of these were act- actually had marks in them. There were marks out of a hundred nowadays. That's
0: typical Asian parenting.
1: parenting. <laughs> but I now look back on it and I think to myself, I wonder if dad was marking the quality of my day or the quality of my work or whether mm-hmm. the quality of my day also impacted the quality of my work. Um, Anyway, so I used to journal a lot and I used to journal absolutely every single day because uh, I would get a mark every single
0: day. (laughs) Um, Oh, also my handwriting. Didn't you feel it was invasive, him reading your journal every day? yeah, absolutely,
1: but <laughs> what are you going to say? No, Dad, you can't read my journal that I'm writing. Yes, for absolutely. As homework. <laughs> um, he used to also grade the quality of my handwriting as well. So some days I wrote like this really, really, really long piece, but towards the end my handwriting had deteriorated, and then he would give me like a 70 because my handwriting was almost illegible. Um, anyway, so I had been journaling for a really long time, and I did it almost consistently daily for uh, all, probably until the end of high school, beginning of university like every single day and then as I got older um, I started journaling a bit less until it got to the point where last year, this year, I decided to stop journaling the way that um, I'd always been doing which was writing out a journal entry in just a blank notebook uh, summarising my day and yeah it was probably last year actually and what really kind of tipped me over the edge was the fact that a lot of things that were coming out in my journals were quite negative because they were things that were i was stewing on on that particular day and i would use it to i would use a journal to regurgitate all of those good bad mostly bad or uncomfortable feelings that i had or all of the stress that i had and this was before I f- uh, permanently committed to one of these purge books, so to speak. Um, I was just bottling everything up and then unleashing it into a journal that would be like five pages long about how much I thought so-and-so didn't deserve blah, 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 or how I was really disappointed in how I performed on blah, blah, blah. It was very, very critical, and it was no longer a pleasant experience to go back and look at Um So I stopped journaling almost altogether last year. Last year, uh, I think the last journal entry I did was probably beginning of the year. And then I just stopped because I couldn't stand that level of negativity. And it wasn't productive at all. It was just me writing down something for the sake of habit. It was a habit. And I didn't want that. Instead, I wanted a healthier way to purge Uh, any of these stresses or excess floating thoughts. Hence, now I just keep these random notebooks. But this year, what I've done is um, I have committed to a five-year notebook, uh, a five-year journal, because it's much shorter. It's really hard to bitch about something in like 10 months. It really is. I've tried. Um, It's really hard to put down more than just some key things that you did that particular day. And so now I use my five-year journal as here were like the two things that really stood out from today. I went you know, I went to dinner with Dai last week. Uh, last week, week before, we went to Japanese, had, probably had too much to eat, but everything was really, really delicious. Right? Things like that. Um, it just reminded me of where we went on a particular day, who I was with, what I did that was Noteworthy and doesn't give me enough doesn't give me too much space so that I end up spiraling down this you know weird rabbit hole of uh, negative thoughts.
0: Something that I've been doing for a lot longer uh, than bullet journaling is using something that's like a commonplace book. So I think I put some notes on what commonplace notebooks were in our show notes and. This is something that, like you, I've been doing for a lot longer than I knew what a commonplace notebook was. So you said you, you were basically doing like a bullet journal or a list-making process before you ever heard about Ryder Carol. Well, I've been doing commonplace notebooks for like 15 years or probably a lot longer. And a commonplace notebook is just um, one notebook. It could be organised however you like, but it's a collection of miscellaneous things that you read or that you are thinking about. And it's like a project that's continuously in work, a collection of readings or a collection of quotes. Um, It's reviews, it's commentary on articles, it can be clippings from newspapers. It's basically a practice of recalling things that you have absorbed and consumed. And it's in a long tradition of making these notebooks um, that you derive this concept of a commonplace notebook. And um if you google it, you'll find something about commonplace notebooks going back centuries. Um, because paper used to be precious and people didn't didn't used to have like computers or um extensive Um, resources and libraries. And what they'd have to do is when they read something that they thought might be useful to them later on, they would copy it down into their own notebook. And often this would go into a commonplace notebook. So something that's a collection of things that you want to keep and treasure and maybe refer back to um, in future. So my commonplace notebook is mostly quotes, poems, poems, Um, my commentary on those things. It's um, fragments of books. It's quotations from movies. It can be passages from an essay that I really valued or thought was really intelligent or well-written. It's structured in a way that I adopted from uh, John Locke's system. So John Locke, the Scottish Enlightenment thinker from the 18th century, he has actually – he really loved his – commonplace notebooks. And he has uh, he has written a book about how he indexes his commonplace notebook. And I found that very intuitive. So I've been using that system to index my commonplace notebook for the last couple of years. And this particular commonplace notebook that I have in front of me, this notebook in itself is from dated from August 2017. But certain entries from it are from older commonplace notebooks that I've then migrated into this one. So, you know, there are entries in this, fragments of this from other commonplace notebooks, older notebooks, you know, back to high school or even earlier. I find especially because these days a lot of us are having to relinquish our libraries. You know, we live in spaces where we don't have um, extensive bookshelves. We don't have so many hard copy um, paperbacks or books. A lot of what we read is digitized. Um, I find it useful to at least have this one hard copy thing of fragments of text. Even if I can't have the whole book, you know, I can copy bits of a book that I really like into it and I can keep this with me even if I have to throw out the book or recycle it or give it away at some point. So um, that's what the commonplace notebook is for me. There are other versions of it and there are actually a lot of guides about how to organize and set up and use a commonplace notebook like there is about doing a bullet journaling, except commonplace notebooks is a much older concept. And actually, if you look on like Amazon or Abbey Books, you'll find that there are writers and thinkers in the past who have published their commonplace notebooks and, you know, they're available in print. And those commonplace notebooks tend to be a combination of both um, quotes and also original thoughts. So it's a, it's a very interesting concept and I'm sure a lot of you have done it or a version of it without even thinking of it in those terms.
1: Yeah, um, I think that's absolutely fascinating, especially how long you've kept yours for. Um, I have something similar but I'm much less consistent with it um, and mine goes back uh, probably to 2015. I'd say in the same notebook, and I haven't used many pages. It's for me, it's stuff to refer back to, um, similar to how my journal was the dumping ground for everything (laughs) that was negative. This is all of the stuff which is inspirational and positive. So I keep this notebook very, very clean, and I keep it full of uh, inspirational poems, quotes. Snippets from particular books, uh, a lot of non-fiction book snippets that I found to be extremely useful um, or really uh, well thought out, um, and I keep that. I also have the odd, like, positive journal or inspirational journal um, that I've written in this particular notebook, which... um, Is a direct contrast to everything in all my other journals Um, because this is one where I, you know, if I have a bad day, I'll go back to, I have this one one entry in here from 2016. It was when I just changed jobs, having gone from a really tech toxic uh, workplace environment to something that was a lot better and it was just me recounting how good a day I'd had and... What was it that actually got me going? So, what is it that inspires or motivates me, um, and what gets me to perform at my best? Which is um, around the type of feedback that I get, the type of support, and um, and uh, how to maintain that upbeat nature. But I keep that particular um, journal uh, entry in this particular in this commonplace book, where I refer I refer back to that journal entry so many times. Every time you want to quit a job. Every time I want to quit a job, I go back to that particular entry around what are the things which are really quite meaningful and what can I take out of it. Um. Yeah, I think, you know, having had this conversation with you, this might be something that I'd like to focus more on um, because it has been a lot more useful than I give it credit for uh, in terms of all of the quotes that are in it and the really, you know, good quality pieces of uh, literature that I have read and uh, my thoughts on them, it's been very useful to keep. Uh, I've just not, it's not been a focus. So maybe it's time to change that.
0: Yeah, and I think it's its something that um, there are digital versions of this sort of system. You know, you can set up a collection of quotes on like, I don't know, what's a a tagging or a bookmarking tool that people use nowadays? I still use Pinboard, but I I know a lot of people don't use that anymore. Um, But, you know, that would be the digital version where you have a link, you have a quote, and you tag it with interesting themes or useful words. Um, And that's basically what my commonplace notebook is. So um, as my themes, you know, things that I find interesting – and um, useful concepts to arrange my quotes under. I have, you know, like patriarchy, um, war, <laughs> faith, um, reason, aging, uh, journeys, things like that. And um, all of my quotes and my snippets are just arranged under those concepts. But I have been thinking recently about having more commonplace notebooks that are um, less thematically jumbled, you know, having And just one commonplace notebook that's based on a particular theme or a particular set of themes or concepts, so that not everything is in this very thick notebook where it's quite difficult to find a particular quote. So um, I'm still exploring and um, refining that process. And one way to think about it, it's not so much refining as just adapting it and letting it evolve with you and what you need at a particular time. I don't really let go of my old notebooks. I like to hang on to things. And um, even if they're not useful to you anymore, I try not to uh, purge those sorts of things in my life. I acknowledge that they are, they had their purpose. And as long as I still have room for them, I keep them. Maybe that's not a very healthy way to approach it. Maybe I need to Marie Kondo, my old commonplace notebooks. But um, I haven't been able to do that quite yet. Okay, the last set of notebooks that I know we both do is ink journaling, but we do it in two very different ways. So maybe you should run down your ink journals first.
1: Yep, yeah, and I have shared pictures of how I keep my ink journal, ink log, and I know um, quite a few people in Fountain Pens Oceania have borrowed my um, setup. So, I mean, I hope that says something about how <laughs> effective it is, um, I'm onto my second ink notebook. My first one was in a Life Kapan. You can sense a theme here. I really liked the Life Kapan grid notebooks. Um, But now I'm in a Nanami uh, A6 cafe note. And that was only because I had some really nice covers for A6 notebooks um, and a lot of A6 notebooks floating around that I felt like I needed to use. And this was something that I it's really casual and it's not going to bother me too much because the ASIC size is just too small for me on a day-to-day basis. So what I keep is every single month, um, my pages are organized by um, per month. And I have a like a full spread each month, which has the date the a pen was inked, a little um, filled-in grid box of the actual ink, the name of the pen, the name of the ink, and then another filled in grid box at the end because I like the uh, uniformity and how it mirrors each other. And then the last kind of column that I have on the side is the date that I either finished or washed out or cleaned out that particular pen and that ink, um, it'll have the date that I changed up that ink, only if it happened within the month. And then the next month, I would start all over again. I would carry forward all of, the ink, all of the inks that I didn't use up in the previous month, and I'll keep a log of what I have inked at a particular point in every single month. And every month, when I ink up a pen, I pop it in there. Every time I wash out a pen, I'll just make a note of when I washed it out. But that's pretty much all it is. It's not anything very fancy. It's not anything that's complicated. It is a very, very simple log of um, all of my pens and inks that I've got inked up at a particular point in time. And it's really nice to see, you know, inks that always make it back into rotation. So, I've every single year, I have a particular blue ink, as listeners know, I no longer pop that in this particular notebook. It'd be the same thing every single month. Um, although having said that, I have had a pen inked with Asagal in one way, shape or form for the last two years. In looking at this, I think I may have missed a month or two in between. Yeah, I've missed a few months in between. But almost every other month I have had a pen inked with Asagal, which tells you, <laughs> I don't know, something. I like blue inks. Um but that's all, that's all my ink log is. It's just what ink was I using? What pen was it in? And it's really interesting because my ink log goes back in my other notebook to 2015, I think. And it's really interesting to see which inks you still use versus ones that you don't own anymore and also pens that you used at the time that you no longer own anymore. So I'm looking at my January 2019 spread. And so the first pen I no longer own, the second pen I no longer own, the third pen I do own, fourth I no longer own, fifth I do own, sixth I don't own, seventh I don't own, eighth I do own. So of like the eight pens that I've got inked up, I've only got one, two, three that I still own. Not a good hit rate, but of the inks that I have, I think I still have every single one of these inks except for one. Oh no, I have two out of, two out of the six I no longer own. I tossed one and I think I sold the other.
0: I think we're going to have to include um, maybe a a, a photo photo, um, on Instagram and Facebook. I find your method incredibly concise and um, practical. And I'm shocked by the fact that you're only on your second notebook because it is quite compact. You know, you only go through one spread per month and that's the summary of, the inks and the pens that you've used in that month.
1: Well, you think about it, it's 40, so 40 pages in a life cup mm. on, take out the beginning, take out the end. That's three years.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's... My, my system is a lot more um, sprawling and I don't even know if it's actually more useful, but it, it serves a different purpose. And um, it, it takes a little bit more difficulty to explain it. So my ink log, I, I use two different types of ink logs. There is one that's similar to you where I have a g where every couple of weeks, um, sometimes no more than once a week, I will have one page of all the pens that I have inked in that uh, that week. So I have a little uh, scribbled square of the ink. I write down the pen and the ink that it's filled with, and then I have the date of the day that I made that list. And um, like you, that's just a summary of what pens I have inked in that particular point in time. It's not for a month. It's just that particular day. That's the easy version. Um, but the more ambitious project is my other ink journals, which I contained in um, what are now six Chopra notebooks, And these organize my inks and pens by pen. So the very first of these ink logs, I I call them my pen ink logs. The very first of these dates back to August, 2015. And in these, I have an index, which is like a list of pens. And each pen gets its own two page spread. And over time, basically, every time I ink a pen with a new ink, I go to the page for that pen and I write a line in it for that pen. So over the years, um, I can, I can think, you know, for my Sailor Pro Gear Mil Colore, what inks have I used in that pen over the years? And I could just go to the spread for that pen and see the list of all the inks that I've used in that pen, that nib. I don't know what the actual practical use for this is, except for, um, I can always find what was the last ink that I inked a particular pen with by looking through this very quickly. But over the years I find it very useful um, to look at in terms of getting a sense of how my collection has grown because one of the first things I do when I acquire a new pen is I make a page for it in my ink log journals. So just – looking at um, the speed at which I've accumulated new ink lock journals, it gives you an idea of um, how quickly I accumulated pens at any particular period. So I, I used up my first ink lock journal in a matter of months. So basically one month. Um, the second one was about six months. The third was ooh, eight months and um Inclog number five between Inclog five and Inclog six was almost two and a half years. So each Inclog contains 40 pens and a lot of those pens are no longer in my collection. (laughs) So I cross them off when I discard them or when I sell them or something. And another thing that I find useful in this is, you know, sometimes um, it's a way to show a particular habit or a particular preference um, of ink and pen. So I know, for example, that with my Nakaya, the long piccolo with a music nib, I almost always use a greenish mossy color ink in that particular pen because all the entries in that page for that pen are in moss green. Um, maybe different types of moss green. Sometimes it's Tokiwamatsu. Sometimes it's, you know, old um But they're all in that family. (laughs) And um, it's something that makes you both aware of um, your preferences and maybe also alerts you to the fact that maybe it's time for a change (laughs) to try something different. I've no idea how I came across this system. Um, I quite like it. I I like having this stack um, of like it's a memory of all the inks that I've used in my pens over the years. It takes up a lot of space um, so I'm not saying that everyone should do it, but um, for me, it's it's quite satisfying an activity.
1: So I actually, when the first time I saw these um, ink, uh, pen ink journals of yours, I was so inspired and I set my own, uh, my own one up. And um, I no longer use it because pens come in and out of my possession yes. very quickly. <laughs> and if I have to rule out a page, every single time I switch like a pen um, I let a pen go, or I bring on a new pen. Um, I would be my my notebook collection would be a lot larger than what you've
0: currently got. Yeah, I think this. I think this is quite. This would quite suit someone who doesn't have a very extensive collection. You know, maybe if it fits within one notebook, that would be quite um, a handy system to use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So those are our most um, commonly used notebooks and the ways that we log, organize our lives, and journal. Um, If you have a different and uh creative way of journaling and you'd like to share it with us, just write to us or um share it with us on Instagram or Facebook. I'm always looking for new ways to use notebooks. That's one of the most common questions that I find in um fountain pen groups. You know, I've got this new notebook, what can I use it for? What do I do?
1: Or the other one, which I admit I have issues with, is I have a new notebook. I don't want to start it. What if I ruin it? So I've now gotten into this habit where I do a small doodle on the first page, as in like I literally just scribble something on the first page. Um, It'll probably just be me testing out a pen on the first page of a notebook as soon as I make a conscious decision to use it. And before I can second guess myself, I open the notebook and I doodle on the first page. All the pressure's gone by that stage.
0: Okay. Um, So, that's our episode on journaling for productivity and for other things, (laughs) Mm. including purging your mind of all its negativity. I'm a more positive person these days. Well, that's good. We all need a lot more positivity in our life. How to keep hold of positivity? Let's get to the final section, which is our recommendations. What's your recommendation for this episode, Sharon?
1: Oh, I have a pen recommendation. (laughs) Okay. I know this is meant to be like a non-fountain pen or non-stationary recommendation, but I have recently re-fallen in love with the Caran d'Ache 849s, the ballpoint pens. And if you've never tried a Caran d'ache 849 ballpoint pen, oh my gosh, I think you're missing out. They're so good and they're so attractive. And what...
0: <laughs> no, just I've got three right in front of me.
1: Three. Um, all of mine are actually in my um, in my study, but um, I've recently picked up one, um, which was the Paul Smith and Karen collection, where I thought oh, I picked up two. So I picked up one, which was the racing green and one, which was the baby pink. And I thought uh, that was the color of the pens within the actual container. Nope, they're the exact same pen. It's just a different colored container. But it, it's such a good um, ballpoint pen and I'm firmly of the belief that everyone should always carry a ballpoint pen with them. And if it's one that is going to be a never fail, like it, it's not going to skip, it's going to work straight out of a bag no matter how like what it's been through, this is kind of one of them. So I don't specifically recommend the Paul Smith versions. I do recommend the Nespresso, the third edition Nespresso pen, which is a bright, bright Purple, it's such a good looking purple, like it's the color of um, one of the purple capsules that you can get in an espresso um, machine. But it's also um, made from recycled Nespresso aluminium pod packaging, so it's you know it's good for the environment. Um, It is a pen that you can reuse, and yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. I've recently been writing a lot on. cheap copy paper so I've had a number of things that I've had to print out and I've had to mark up and I've had to do it with cheap um on cheap copy paper so I've um, gone back to using ballpoint pens because my fountain pens just bled everywhere and I I'm so surprised that I didn't I didn't use these pens as much as I am now because they're so good they're still not as good as a fountain pen but They're pretty damn up there because of just the weight, the size, and how good looking they are. Plus, I'm really, really enamored with the new Claim Your Style 2 series. There's this pale blue with like an alt gold green colored clip and a pink knock up the top, like the presser up the top. Oh my gosh, it's so attractive in all the right ways. So the turquoise is beautiful it is a beautiful um pen i have one hopefully coming in the mail soon um because i didn't buy one last time around um but this time around i've got the pale blue and i'm tempted by the yellow very not me but it was like so bright and so happy that i am thinking i might cave in and get the yellow as well but i do have a couple of the paul smith ones and i also have the the brute rose one the Champagne Rosé one, which looks fantastic, and I have um, the Nespresso 2 and 3. And if anyone wants to sell me a Nespresso 1 ball pen, please message me on Instagram. I am looking to buy one.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're a little bit um, more distinctive and colourful than something like a jotta, even though I love Jottas as well.
1: Yeah, I just think they're so a good writing pen and I can't say enough good things about it and it's been the thing that's blown my mind recently. So there's a rec in there for the Karen d'Ache 849 ballpoint pens and uh, probably like a follow-up to that. Their actual refills are really good.
0: My recommendation, um, something that's been making me very happy um, recently on Instagram, I love to follow um, accounts from wildlife rescuers, so um, Australian wildlife rescuers, people who find, you know, helpless little animals and rear them back to health. If you're not Australian, you may at least know a little bit about, about a unique wildlife. A lot of very unique Australian animals are marsupials. We have a very large collection of native marsupials, um, so things like wallabies, like wombats, um, Kangaroos and so on. They're all marsupials. And the endearing thing about marsupials is, like humans, their babies are all born premy. Um, like they're born and they are ejected out of their mothers at an age where they're completely helpless and they need to be nurtured and protected and fed multiple times a day for months and months and months, just like human babies. And, um, this is quite tragic. When you have a marsupial whose mother has been hit by a car or wounded by um, a feral cat um, that's roaming the trees at night and um, their babies are just completely helpless and they can't look after themselves maybe up for up to a year. So there are lots of wildlife rescuers who um, help look after these baby marsupials and i just love following them um two accounts that get updated quite regularly one is the kangaroo sanctuary in northern territory um it's it has so many followers and lots of really really cute videos about little wallabies and kangaroos and um i just i just love their little faces and their big big eyes and their furry ears um If you've been near an adult kangaroo, they are quite intimidating. But when they're little, they're just very, very cute.
1: (laughs) We need to insert a meme or a link to that meme of the boxing kangaroo, like the fully ripped one that looks like it's just going to punch your face in.
0: (laughs) Well, they're they're really scary. They have these ripped abs and huge tails and very muscular legs. And they look like they were
1: muscular all over. Muscular, so muscular.
0: (laughs) And they can be over six, um, two meters tall, like the giant kangaroos when they're standing upright. So um, very six scary. Six foot
1: two, six foot three. Yeah,
0: you don't want to you don't want to come across one of those in the wild. But the babies, the babies are just helpless, very cute. Um, the other Instagram account is the uh, wombat lady. So the underscore wombat underscore lady, and she mainly looks after baby wombats and baby wombats. Wombats are also marsupials, so they're born, they have they're kept in their mother's pouches, and they're like this little wriggly grey hairless thing when they're born with huge, huge claws, and they need milk like every few hours, just like human babies. And it's just they're just so endearing. They're like babies. You know, that- <laughs> fun fact about wombats? <laughs> what
1: their poop is square.
0: I have my doubts about this. You can check it
1: online. Like, they actually poop out relatively square um, poo. It's not, It's not like, it is not elongated. It looks like a cube. A cube. <laughs> you, can, you guys can Google it. Please Google it and then tell us what you think.
0: <laughs> well, this baby wombat that I've been following, she is still in, in the mushy milk poo phase, so no square poo for her. Um, she is quite smelly and messy, um, but she's, very very cute she's only about a kilo and a half at this point and um but wombats can get very very big they are what we call them like brick houses they they are so dense and heavy <laughs> they can bowl you over if they're running at you but um if you're having a bad day um go and look at these videos of cute little animals it's very satisfying to watch them get larger and stronger and then be released back into the wild. It's a very satisfying thing to do. Um, so those are our recommendations for the week.
1: And we'll also put in a link to the BBC um, article about scientists revealing <laughs> the, he- the mystery behind cube-shaped wombat poop. And then if you also Google wombat poop, one of the first questions that come up is, do wombats have square buttholes?
0: <laughs> or do they? No. <laughs> Long short
1: of it is no. <laughs> Still
0: a mystery. Someone else's <laughs> PhD. Okay. Well, thanks, Sharon, uh, for chatting with me on a Sunday. Thank you. Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenipsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nibsection Facebook page or at the Nip Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nip Section is the official podcast of Gunhpens Oceania. Our producers: this episode for Sharon Tsar and Diana Dye, recording and editing done by Diana Dye, Music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith, with artwork by Melissa Grant. Thanks for listening.